is it true? Are we really back in the black? <laughs> well, it was uh, it was quite a bold <laughs> claim, um, <laughs> but no, we are we're not back in the black. Um, the budget is in deficit for this financial year, but we are forecast to be back in surplus next financial year. Do I think we'll get there? Uh, yes, I do. Welcome to the Grattan Institute podcast channel. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Paul Austin, the editor at Grattan Institute. And today we're going to dissect the 2019 federal budget. The budget was, of course, delivered on the cusp of the 2019 federal election. So even more than normal, this budget is a political as well as economic document. To unpack what it might mean for Australia and Australians over the next three years and beyond, I'm joined again by the Director of the Budget Policy Program at Grattan Institute, Danielle Wood. G'day, Danny. Hi, thanks for having me. Danny, before we get into some of the specifics of Josh Frydenberg's budget, I want to discuss the intergenerational issue. You've written extensively about what you've called Australia's intergenerational bargain. Tell me what you mean by that term, and in particular, tell me why you fear the intergenerational bargain may be under threat. Well, when I'm talking about the intergenerational bargain, what I'm talking about is what's really been commonplace in Australia for many decades now. So the idea that when people are of working age, they are net contributors to the budget, they put more in in taxes and they get back in spending and benefits, and they do that in order to support the older generation in their retirement. Obviously, when they do that, they hope that the next generation of working age Australians will support them when they're in that in retirement. Sure. So that's you know what I think of as the generational bargain. And the reason I've been saying is it could be under threat is really um, two reasons. First of all, is demographic change. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've known for a, a long time that we have a very large cohort in the baby boomers. Um, they are now heading towards retirement age. And the government's been putting out intergenerational reports every five years to, to talk about um, you know, why that might create some pressures on the budget. Essentially, you have fewer working age people for every person over 65, and that makes the generational bargain harder to sustain. So the ageing of the population is a difficulty. What's the other aspect of this uh, threat? The other aspect is really that we've compounded those demographic effects by a series of policy changes which have increased transfers to to older Australians. Um, So their health spending, um, for example, tends to grow much faster than the broader economy. We see that right around the developed world. That's particularly true among older Australians. We've increased pension payments quite a bit faster um, than than we have wages or, or general price levels over a period. And I think a lot of Australians would say, well, we certainly want to, don't want to begrudge our older generation these changes. But at the same time as doing that, we're actually asking older Australians to also pay less tax than what we once did. So the share of older Australians paying tax has actually fallen over the past two decades, despite the fact that we know that their incomes and wealth are much higher on average than they once were. That's been because we've made decisions around taxation of income from superannuation. We've introduced special tax offsets that only apply to people over 65. And those decisions combined have meant that we're now asking older households to make less of a contribution, even though they're better off. 
And you've drawn an interesting distinction, Danny, between the sorts of things that young people in Australia are protesting about these days and what some older and wealthier Australians are protesting about. That's right. I think I use the line that older people are protesting for their franking credits and young people are protesting for their future. I think um, you did. And, and by that I was um, talking, of course, about the, the school climate protests and, and the lack of you know, real action on climate change in this country for a very long time now, um, which has, you know, very quite rightly got young people quite upset. Okay, so you've said that um, uh, policy decisions of the last decade or two have had an impact on this intergenerational divide. What about the policy decisions in this budget, the 2019 federal budget? Has it made the generational divide bigger or smaller? Well, there's not much that goes to the specific policies that I was just talking about. So there's certainly nothing that um, goes to taxing superannuation more or any of these types of changes. So it's um, certainly nothing here going to the heart of that generational divide. Mm -hmm. But there's always a question of, um, you know, is the budget doing enough to address those kind of long-term structural pressures? Are we thinking long-term when we're preparing the budget? I would say that this budget is restrained in the short term. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't, even though it is a pre-election budget and it does splash some cash around, um, it certainly could have been a lot worse. But the real concern that I have is those the sort of the medium term, looking out 10 years, when we know that this aging population is going to start to bite the bottom line, um, the government has announced, you know, very significant personal income tax cuts cutting in really from 2024-25. From um, so my concern is that we are further exacerbating those, those structural pressures. Right. So let's go to those tax cuts because they were the headline grabber really of this budget. On the face of it, as you say, it's a big package, three stages over 10 years, I believe. Just describe for us briefly, Danny, the 2019 tax package. Well, it might be easiest if I lump it in with the 2018 tax package. Because sure. Let's remember. Um, so last year's budget, we had a, a three-stage, um, seven-year, $144 billion tax package. Mm -hmm. And then we have now added a $158 billion 10-year tax package over the top of that. So let's be clear, this year's tax cuts are above and beyond last year's tax cuts. Correct. So if we look at both packages combined over a decade, you're talking $300 billion. Right. This is a very big number. Um, and these get quite large, particularly once you get to stage three. Um, so essentially, as you said, the package comes in three stages. The, the main component of the first package is a, a tax offset called the low and middle income tax offset. Um, essentially what that means is that if you earn somewhere between 50 and $90,000 a year, you can expect a $1,000 check in the mail come July, after, mm -hmm. as long as you put your tax return in on time, um, and, and slightly um, smaller checks for people kind of either side of, mm -hmm. of that age range going up to $125,000 a year. Um, stage two increases the top threshold of the, the 19 cent and the 32 and a half cent tax bracket. And then stage three, post 2024-25, this is the, the big cost of the package. Mm -hmm. The government removes the 37 cent tax bracket so that everyone earning between 45,000 and a 200,000 is gonna be on the same marginal rate of tax. 
And then in this budget, what they said is not only have we created this huge mega tax bracket, we're going to bring down the marginal rate of tax on that bracket. So rather than paying 32 and a half cents in the dollar, you're paying 30 cents in the dollar. That change alone cost the budget $96 billion over six years. So it's costly to the budget, but is it possible, Danny, to identify the winners and the losers over the course of the next 10 years through this tax package? Uh, yes, it is. Hot off the presses, Paul. We've, we've just finally finished running our, our numbers on it. Um, and look, um, compared to doing nothing at all, if we left tax um, rates and scales unchanged, mm -hmm. everyone is better off <laughs> under right. this package. Um, so, you know, everyone, no matter where you are in the income distribution, is going to get some tax cuts. Um, certainly, particularly if you look over the three stages, the, the largest tax cuts, both in dollar terms and its percentage of income, uh, are for the people at the upper end of the income distribution, the top 10% of distribution. Um, that will happen when you have progressive tax rates and you offer tax cuts. Um, so what we were interested in seeing is, you know, what is it doing to average tax rates? Mm -hmm at different points in the income distribution and what's it doing to the progressivity of the system overall. Um, so what we find is that the package as it's currently designed is partially giving brack, bracket creep for people on middle income earners. So that was probably by the end of the 10 years, they'll still be paying a higher average tax rate than they are today. For people in the top 15%, it's either giving back bracket creep or more than giving back bracket creep. So some of them will be slightly ahead of where they are today. That does mean you're shifting the progressivity of the tax system a bit. Essentially, the share of tax being paid by people in the middle falls a little bit. The share of tax being paid by people at the top rises a bit. Um, so you do see some distributional effects from the way the package is structured. So when you say it, if it uh, adjusts the progressivity, this package will make Australia's income tax system less progressive. Is that correct? Yes, somewhat less progressive overall. That's right. And what about the alternative government, the Labor Party, which would surely point to its proud history of support for a progressive tax system? Are they offering anything substantially different with regard to tax rates and the tax system? Uh, yes, their package looks very different, um, essentially because they're not proceeding with stage two and three of the government's tax cuts. Right. So they would leave the existing tax brackets essentially as they are. Um, in stage one, they're also doing a little bit more for, for lower income earners. They're giving a slightly higher tax offset for people earning under $45,000. But the, the big difference between the two parties is, is those stage two and three that Labor won't proceed with. Um, we haven't modelled the impact of, of Labor's policy. I suspect it would make the system um, slightly more progressive, mm -hmm. um, but I don't have firm numbers on that. Sure. So Josh Frydenberg and Scott Morrison are boasting that this is the biggest tax reform since the Howard era. Are they right, Danny? Certainly the biggest tax cuts since the Howard era. Mm -hmm. um, I would have a big question mark over whether I would call this a tax reform. Why? What's, what's the important difference between a tax cut and a tax reform? Well, tax reform is, is changing the structure of taxes in a way that improves economic efficiency. Mm -hmm. So changing um, the, the rates of tax, changing the structure of tax, changing what you tax, in order to, to increase incentives to, to do more things that we like, particularly work in this case. Um, so any tax cut 
will somewhat boost economic activity. And Mm -hmm. I have no doubt that this package will will do that to some degree. Mm -hmm. The question is, you know, is it actually giving us the biggest possible economic bang for our buck? And this is where I'm not sure it is. You know, if we look at where um, the tax cuts hit the most, and certainly the biggest impact on average tax cuts, as I just said, is people at the top end of the income distribution. Um, They still tend to be men working full time. If you really want to cut taxes in a way that spurs um, participation and and productivity, um, almost all the literature suggests you want to target people working part time, Um, second income earners, generally women, who at the moment we, we know that the combination of taxes, welfare payments getting withdrawn and childcare costs means they face a strong disincentive in some cases, you know, marginal tax, effective marginal tax rates, you know, inching towards 100% um, from going from two to three, three to four, four to five days work a week. So to me, tax reform would be to look at that problem holistically um, and find the way to, to best create economic incentives for that group rather than the way this is structured. Also, you know, I, I, I note that the government itself has, you know, not really articulated why this is a reform, mm. um, nor have we kind of seen the normal treasury modelling that comes out that tells about, you know, talks about the economic dividend from this change. Um, we, we've sort of um, had to take it on face value that taking out a tax bracket is automatically reform. Let me ask about the alternative government again. We're heading into an election campaign. You're concerned that the incumbent government's big tax package doesn't amount to tax reform. Are there any indications that Labor will be better, if you like, at tax reform should it win the next gov- uh, next election? So the Labor government is a very different proposition mm-hmm. because they are essentially going to the election with a platform of higher taxes yes. and higher spending. Um, so that decision, which is essentially a decision about the size of government, mm. um, is really a, a values choice. Um, so, you know, it's up to different sides to put their pitch about what they think, um, you know, the right kind of profile for Australia might look like. Um, and then the question on tax reform flips the other way in that case. Are you raising those additional taxes in the way that creates the least possible drag on the economy. Mm. Um, And certainly if I look at a number of elements of their tax plan, um, negative gearing and capital gains tax changes, um, changes to taxation of family trusts, to a lesser extent, the franking credit changes, I Mm -hmm. think there are some potential economic issues with what they're proposing there. Um, But generally, I think they've put together a package of reducing tax concessions in a way that will still create some economic drag, their tax increases, so of course they will, um, but they look like less costly ways of raising taxes. That said, um, they will not proceed with the government's stage two and three of the income tax cuts. Um, So bracket creep will still loom large over the next decade. Um, So middle income earners in particular are hit by bracket creep. Um, so there is an argument that that's not necessarily the most efficient way to, to raise revenue. So mm-hmm. I think that component of their, their tax package um, is something that I would certainly like them to to look into and look into it holistically in the way that I said, targeting the people that get the biggest um, incentive effect from, from tax cuts. Okay, so the Labor offer is 
unashamedly, I think, uh, higher taxes and higher spending. The coalition offer is, as you say, quite a big tax cut package. Here's the question, is it affordable? Well, that is the very interesting question at the heart of this budget. So if you look at the numbers in the budget, it does look affordable. Mm -hmm. So the the package, as I said, well, the two packages combined, 300 billion over a decade. But on the numbers in the budget, budget surpluses continue to rise over the decade. Net debt is coming down. I do have some question marks, though, about the assumptions that are underpinning those numbers. And particularly if we start looking beyond the next couple of years out four, five, six, all the way to 10 years out. As we're invited to do. As we are invited to do under the medium term estimates. (laughs) um, We see that the payments as a share of the economy are projected to fall over the next decade. They're projected to fall about one and a half percentage points of GDP, which is a sizable fall. Mm. Now, we know that's happening against the backdrop of an ageing population. Um, The Parliamentary Budget Office put out a report the day before the budget talking about how ageing will increase the the structural pressures on the budget um, over the next decade. And Mm -hmm. you're talking about increasing spending by about 0.3% of GDP by the end of the decade, whereas the numbers in the budget have spending coming down. And that is without, as far as I can see, the sort of policy decisions that you would need to make to get spending to come down. Um, So I have some big question marks about those numbers. And if you don't believe those numbers, if if we just make, you know, what I still think is a reasonably conservative assumption that spending as a share of GDP just sits where it currently is, then the stage three of the tax cuts would put the budget back into deficit. Right. Which brings me to the other headline grabbing... uh aspect of this budget, which is the claim that we're back in surplus. Now, is it true? Are we really back in the black? (laughs) Well, it was uh, was quite a bold (laughs) claim. Um, I don't know if you see the the Liberal Party's um, already made some mugs up back in the black mugs, which you can can purchase for $35. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, we're not back in the black. Um, The budget is in deficit for this financial year, but we are forecast to be back in surplus next financial year. Do I think we'll get there? Uh, Yes, I do. Um, Certainly, if we look at the um, trajectory of recent budgets, we look at the economic assumptions that are underpinning that particular number. Um, The fact that it's forecast to be seven billion gives you a bit of a a buffer. Um, So I think short of kind of a major or a significant economic shock, you know, next next year's treasurers probably will be standing up and announcing an, an actual rather than forecast surplus. What about through the forward estimates, which are also uh, forecast to be in the black? That's right. So I think certainly the next two years look reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, some of the economic assumptions get a little bit more questionable. Um, government's folk, um, forecasting that wages growth um, goes back up to three and a half percent a year. Um, we've seen that they've been serially optimistic on the mm. wages growth um, projections, and I think this year will probably prove to be no exception. Um, and again, the, the sort of spending assumptions that I, I talked about before, um, we saw in the budget, you know, very significant 
um, reductions in the level of projected spending, particularly in years three and four, um, partly which were explained by things like the underspend on the National Disability Insurance Scheme, mm-hmm. um, partly explained by lower GST payments to the states because the government's just collecting less GST than it expected because cons- consumption growth is muted, but some of it not explained. Um, and so, you know, I have a question mark over how we're going to achieve the the projected degree of spending constraint. And there's another um, issue, Danny, that the um, Treasury uses the budget papers to um, list quite a foreboding number of uh, risks to the Australian economy, yes? That's right. Yeah, the the list of um, risks around, um, you know, trade, if we have a potential trade war, Mm -hmm. um, slowing growth in China, which obviously feed into things like commodity prices. Um, All of those are kind of held up as potential downside risks. And I think it's probably fair to say the balance of risk is on the downside. Mm -hmm. Um, That, you know, can partly justify some of the measures in this year's budget. Um, You can certainly see that the kind of cash payments the, um, the tax offset that we talked about before, um, they will have a sort of short-term stimulatory effect on the economy. If you put people's, you know, cash in people's hands, particularly in the hands of low and middle income earners, they'll tend to spend it. Um, so you can argue that they're sort of buffering against some of those short-term shocks. Um, but to the extent that those things would create a long-term hole in the budget position, I think we we really haven't planned for that. And yet, I um, I'm quite taken up by the pre-election um, optimism of Morrison and Frydenberg, who uh, boast of uh, a big tax package, tax cut package, no tax rises, a return to budget uh, surpluses. Can you just sum up for us, Danny, after the 2019 federal budget, is it a time to be optimistic about Australia's economic and budgetary future? Look, I would say on the budgetary future, I think, as I said, we will will have a forecast surplus next year. But beyond that, I would say we should be concerned. Mm -hmm. I think we have failed as a nation to adequately Um, plan for, even though we've known for a long time that it's coming, the ageing of the population. Mm. And I do worry about the legacy that that will be left um, for our children. Um, As for economic circumstances, I think there are um, any number of risks. Um, You know, I like to criticise others' projections, but I'm less willing to make them myself (laughs) on on that front. Um, But certainly I think we should be a lot more um, risk-averse in some of our fiscal planning. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for your expertise and your uh, explanations today. And I look forward to speaking to you on uh, on other Grattan podcasts during the election campaign proper. And thank you to you, our listeners. If you would like any to read any of Danny's articles on the 2019 budget or her reports on budget policy more broadly, head to our website, grattan.edu.au. It's all there, live and free. You can stay up to date with all of Grattan's news and events by following us on Twitter, at GrattanInst, or on Facebook, Grattan Institute. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, then please help your friends to find it by heading over to iTunes and leaving us a rating or review. Thanks for listening.
Grattan Institute is uniquely positioned to bring an independent, rigorous and practical lens to big issues in public policy, with the capacity to talk honestly to both sides of politics. We maintain this unique position through the generosity of the public and our affiliate companies. If you would like to find out more about contributing to our continued independence, head to our website to donate, grattan.edu. This has been a Grattan Institute podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes.